The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran hey everybody welcome to the main street vegan program where i am just doing a little bit of reminiscing back in the 1890s charles and myrtle fillmore started a publishing house at 9th street and tracy avenue in kansas city missouri They shared their ideas about the power of positive thinking, the value and worth of every religious tradition, the oneness of all life, and the importance of a vegetarian lifestyle for personal health, spiritual integrity, and even peace on earth. A few years in, they built a radio tower atop that building at 9th and Tracy, and their message went out over the airwaves, sometimes reaching as far as Africa. So in recognition of today, February 13th, World Radio Day, I commend the Fillmores and other radio pioneers who brought the world a little closer together, something that we aim to do to this very day at Unity Online Radio and on the Main Street Vegan program. I am your host, Victoria Moran. MainStreetVegan.net is my address, and I'd love it if you'd come to visit and learn more about what's going on there. But what's going on here is that this month, February, is when the Main Street Vegan Show is going to be focusing on love. And it's a different kind of love every week. And this week, we're looking at the fondest and purest kind of love, and that is love of good food, good kind food, of course. After the break, we will be talking to the queen of vegan comfort food, Robin Asbel. And right now, it is my distinct pleasure to be introducing certainly someone you already know if you are a foodie. If you are a connoisseur of wonderful vegan food, you know this woman's very popular blog, Vegan Yak Attack, and her other wonderful work. She is Jackie Soban. 
and I probably mispronounced that. We'll get her to say it right in a minute. Jackie is the powerhouse behind Vegan Yak Attack, founded in 2011, filled with hundreds of delicious recipes and gorgeous food photographs. Her first book, Vegan Bowl Attack, was published in 2016, and her new book, Vegan Yak Attack on the Go, is now available. Jackie is also the Sweet Treats columnist for Veg News Magazine, and she's photographed over 10 cookbooks, including the one that I did last year with J.L. Fields, the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook. Welcome, Jackie. Wow, thank you so much. <laughs> and you said my name is Sobon is usually how I say it, but you, you were like, that close to it. It was perfect. It was great. Oh, well, that means a lot. You know, I was on Oprah a couple of times back in the day, and she always pronounced Moran, Morin. And my husband said at one point, oh. you should just change it because lots more people know you now as Morin. <laughs> so. like, I'm tempted. I thought about it. <laughs> Jackie, you are a renaissance vegan. I mean, you are so talented, both in recipe creation and this incredible gift you have for making food absolutely exquisitely beautiful. So take us back and tell us where it all started. Were you a little girl in the kitchen? Oh, no. Um, I mean, my I was, I've always been creative, so I was always, like, making things, Um I like to say that I was the son my dad never had because I would, you know, my sister and I, we would do woodworking and stuff like that with him when I was younger. But, like, cooking and stuff, that both of my parents worked full-time, and they, you know, they made food that was convenient for us. And, you know, here's our, our main parts of the meal that we should be having. Um, but, like, really getting into cooking was not something that I did until – um, I guess after college, really, I I would eat pretty not great um, uh, once I was out of high school and I was in college. And then once I was working full time is actually when I decided to say, hey, these freezer meals that I'm buying for myself uh, for my full time job, um, which I was a product design engineer. So I, after high school, I ended up going to art school and got a bachelor's in product design, which is also what helps me in what I do now but um that was the catalyst for oddly enough this like food thing where I wanted to make food for myself and as soon as I started cooking for myself is really when I learned more about food and where it comes from and that turning point was in 2010 I'll say that is fascinating and you're the second person that I have ever spoken with who studied and worked in product design and then had it lead to something else. So the other person I'm thinking of was a guest on the show, um, Sugand from Gunas Bags, beautiful vegan oh. handbags. Mm -hmm. And she started out and she bags. said she was designing, I don't know, toasters and things like that. But then she mm -hmm. translated that in, into the, the fashion world and translated it into food and photography. So it's interesting how that, <laughs> how that can go. So when did the blog... Yeah come about what inspired that so when uh just about the time when i was working full-time um tumblr became available as a platform it, it started growing so i just had a personal tumblr account where i rarely posted and 
Um, a couple months into that, my friend was selling like a hobby level DSLR camera. And so I bought the kit from him and I was like, ooh, well, I'm, I'm cooking now and I'm kind of excited about this and I'll just share it on my Tumblr. And so for the first couple of months, it wasn't vegan or even vegetarian. Um, and I really just was posting things and setting them out there, kind of just like uh, talking into a void. And um, then uh, that was part of, you know, me learning more information about the food, like I was saying. And so I went vegetarian in uh, October of 2010, and probably six months later, I, I was eating like 95% vegan, and the only thing that I would really eat that wasn't that was uh, at work, because we did a lot of plastic packaging, um, like cookie trays and veggie trays and things like that, uh, we'd get products sent to our workplace, so I'd eat the cookies because I love sweets and I was like Jackie if you're not eating these other things because of where they come from and what's in them like why would you keep eating the products that come from the animals that you're not eating like why are you being a hypocrite so uh, in April of 2011 I went fully vegan and at that point I had started just experimenting with a lot of vegetarian and vegan recipes and I was sharing them on my tumblr and then that summer after a few months of being fully vegan, um, Tumblr emailed me and said, hey, we see that you're posting original content within our platform and you have like an interactive community. We want to promote your blog to the food section of our site. I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. And so then after that, I started getting like a thousand followers a week to my Tumblr account. and I my I was my mind was pretty blown because it wasn't anything I'd ever encountered before, and my mom actually said, "Hey, I have a blogger friend who does DIY blogging. I think she has like some valid uh, or valuable information for you in terms of you know direction on where to take this." So she said, "You know, you need to get a self-hosted website." And so in July of 2011 is when I actually registered the domain for veganyakattack.com. Because uh, my Tumblr was Yak Attack, which came from Yakily, which came from my name Jacqueline, because huh. I worked in a restaurant for a few years. Yeah, just as a server. And um, my tickets that would pop up in the kitchen, I mean, my name was, my formal name is 10 letters long, so it would get cut off at the I. And we had chefs from like El Salvador and Central America, and so they'd always call me Yakily because that's how my name would come up for them. And I had made that like a, a personal handle of mine. And then eventually because of that, I had friends that would call me Yak Attack as a nickname and that was just my Tumblr name. So when I decided to register a domain name, I was gonna do yakattack.com, but it was some like Chinese search engine or something. And so, it, I just tagged a vegan onto the front of it, and that's how I got my blog name, which is, like, a very confusing name to some people, but luckily I don't get too many messages about it. Maybe, like, once or twice a year I'll have someone say, yak means vomit, right? And I'm like, it does. It does mean that. But 
it's from Jackie is really what it's from. Oh, that's so, so cute. And I always thought my, it was, you know, yakety yak, like talking all about food. I mean, easily that also. So there's a, there's a few different ways it can go, but it came from Jackie originally. Okay. Okay. I, I love the history, you know. <laughs> we've probably all been to your blog and, and cooked some of your recipes, and now we know the story behind the story. So what caused you to go vegan? So from product design, in school we learned a lot about cradle to grave, um, which is the experience that a product goes through, uh, you know, when you design it, you birth it essentially, its life cycle and then how it ends. And so in that we learned about sustainability and trying to either make something reusable, recyclable, or just resilient and be a, a really strong long lasting product so that you don't have all these disposable things. Um, you know, so that we're not taking up as much as many resources and uh just responsible designing, which now, at least there's more options to, like, get into companies that are focusing on that. But for a really long time, it, it was kind of a soul-sucking design job if, you know, you, you picked it up somewhere and uh, you're just designing disposable things. So that kind of impact on the environment uh, really stayed with me. So when I learned about factory farming and it's just how inefficient it is and how much waste it creates, and everything about it in terms of environmental impact is like, oh, this is pretty awful. If I if I don't have to contribute to this, why would I? And um and so that was a, a really huge catalyst. And then second, I would say health, but not like trying to come over and or get over an ailment. Um, but just, oh, I don't want what's in that inside of me. I don't want to be eating that. So those were really what started me off. And then a few months into that, animal welfare animal welfare became a really big part of it. And even human welfare, because people that work in factory farms are not treated well. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, lack of enforcement of regulations. So that became, you know, it's like this tri- trifecta of really important things to me and so that that's why I eventually went vegan yeah that's so cool now I know that we're here to talk about the brand new book which is really exciting because everybody's in a hurry vegan yak attack on the go but being a linear person let's go back to the first book just today mm -hmm. my um, assistant and I were having Chinese food and I got out two plates and then I just stopped for a minute and said, would you rather have this in a bowl? And she's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> well, I mean, it used to be bowls were for soup and now bowls are for life. So tell us about for the everything. bowl attack and how you became a bowl person. Um, so the funny thing with that book is um, my publisher had come to me and asked, like, hey, do you want to write a book? I was like, yes, actually, I do. That's a goal of mine. And so we came up with this idea knowing that bulls were, you know, on an upward trend. And I, at that point, was not what I would call a like a, a really dedicated bull person. I just <laughs> ate food in bowls. Um, and at the same time, when I wrote that book, I didn't feel comfortable selling an entire book of here's some 
steamed sweet potato and kale with brown rice bowls. Like I, I didn't want people to pay money for that because it was like, you can go on Instagram and see this all day. And it's honestly pretty self-explanatory. I would feel bad taking money for recipes like that. So I did it in my version, which is here are these components. You don't have to use all of them, but here are these really awesome bowls filled with so many flavors and sauces and all these basics that you can take with you and use in all kinds of other recipes if you want. So that's what Vegan Bowl Attack was for me. It was not necessarily a beginner book, but, um, you know, things that are easily made, just a lot of different options. So for no, for people who are completely unfamiliar with what, huh, a bowl, what, what, what are the basics? Just stack us up a quick bowl and we'll move on. So a bowl would basically be like a foundation of a grain um, for the most part, uh, maybe brown rice or quinoa. And then you'd have some sort of vegetables. We'll say, like I mentioned, like roasted sweet potato and we have kale. And then maybe you cut up some cucumbers or tomatoes in there. And then you have a protein. So that could be tofu, tempeh, uh, seitan, um, beans. Uh, you could even make falafels or something like that. And then usually there's a sauce that's on top. So mm. a lot of the times a tahini sauce is really great for a bowl. So it's a lot of components that aren't necessarily what you would consider an entree, but they fit together as a really wholesome meal. That sounds so good. I'm so glad I just had my bowl or I would be really hungry right now. <laughs> so now we're hurrying up and we're taking Vegan Yak Attack on the go. Tell us about this new book. Mm-hmm. So this book is definitely for beginners. Um, when I was writing it, I took into account how I felt when I first went vegan, and I made a lot of sautés and stir fries, and I just chopped up. I actually ate a lot of raw food when I first went vegan because it was the easiest to bring to work. I just chop up a bunch of vegetables or fruit, you know, put in some soaked nuts, and, like, there's my meal. And my boyfriend's mom is mostly vegan at this point, and she asked me a lot of questions. And so I took her point of view into account when writing Vegan Yak Attack on the go in terms of here are ingredients that are cool to have in your pantry that are really helpful for having a well-rounded vegan pantry. Here are some even kitchen tools that could be very helpful for you. And um, here are a lot of basics. So I really pared it down from Vegan Bowl Attack to, I mean, I always try to make my recipes as accessible as possible, so there's not a lot of weird ingredients in them, um, especially because my books are sold outside of the United States as well. So I, even when I have recipe testers, I like to get a couple of people around the world to be like, are you able to actually make this recipe where you are? So this one, it was definitely beginner-oriented, things that you could pack away or make ahead of time or 30-minute meals, um, snacks, and then, like, quick breakfast and a couple of little treats in there because I have my sweet tooth. Um, but it definitely is for people that just don't have a lot of time to focus on food. It sounds wonderful because most people don't have a lot of time to focus on anything, and maybe I'm just speaking <laughs> yeah. for me right now. But it's wonderful to have really good food that doesn't take more time than, than you have to fix it. So you mm-hmm. offered here in what you wrote to, to me, Jackie, a recipe for Valentine's Day. What might that be? Ooh. So <laughs> I, I like, I drool over this recipe all the time, but it's a good, even though I love my sweets. And like I said, there's a couple in the book, like there's a cherry chocolate cup 
with salted cashews on top and it's so easy that would honestly be my tied for first pick but as an entree if you want to just make dinner at home because going out to restaurants on valentine's day is absolutely ridiculous um <laughs> there's a cauliflower alfredo in the book with uh yeah with like grilled asparagus so it's, it's kind of pan roasted or you can grill it um and it's so simple it's really creamy and delicious and um still has a lot of veggies and great flavor and i feel like it, it's a nice entree to share for valentine's day where it's not too heavy but it's comforting and it's easy to make so you're not stressing out over it um i even made it at a recipe demo a few months ago where i had like 25 minutes to bust this thing out and i did and honestly i was a little surprised given the situation but uh it and people loved it it's such oh. a good entree sounds wonderful so what's the base of the alfredo sauce so the base is cauliflower and then also some non-dairy milk and pine nuts. So it's not wow. a, a ton of pine nuts, but it's enough to make it really rich without using like the sweeter cashew. Mm -hmm. And then there's some toasted pine nuts on top as well. And there's a little bit of nutritional yeast, not a lot, and mm -hmm. some garlic and then salt and lemon juice. Um, so it's a pretty simple sauce. You just steam uh, cauliflower and then put everything else in a blender after you steamed it. And you, that's your sauce. And honestly, it's usually hot enough out of the blender that you don't really need to cook it again. But if you want to, you can thicken it up a little bit. And then while while the cauliflower is steaming, you cook up some asparagus with just uh, a little oil and salt and get it a little blackened. Cook your pasta. That's it. It's really good. Mm, it sounds amazing. Sounds great. Well, I will make it, but not for Valentine's Day, because I do want to give a shout out to where I will be for Valentine's Day. If anybody is in the New York Ooh. City area and you want to have dinner where William and I will have dinner, we will be at the Organic Grill on First Avenue in the East Village. They are doing this beautiful, oh my gosh, multi-course, prefix, amazing, luscious Valentine's dinner. So, you know, if you want to come, we'll say, hey, on the most romantic day of the year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to eat other people's food. It's wonderful to make your own food. And it's wonderful to take pictures of your food. But I have to say, we're not all gifted that way. In fact, I have had a couple of people say to me things like, you're a really bad picture taker. You just have all those Instagram <laughs> followers because you write oh, really no. good captions. And I'm like, well, thank you, sort of. But how yeah, do I become like... a better picture taker? So um, usually, because I've done a few uh, like food styling and food photography seminars um, over the years, and my biggest point is light. So make sure you have enough light and be mindful of where you are, um, you know, to where it is. So say you're next to a window, you don't want to be standing in front of your light source because having light on your food is what's really going to show it off. Um, preferably daylight because that's the nicest looking and usually the softest looking light. Uh, halogens, not so great, pretty yellow. Um, and then the, now LEDs are a bit white. So if you can soften up the light, I even in restaurants, I've held a napkin in front of my phone flash, which is the most ridiculous thing to see from across the way. But I'm like, this is my job. So that's what my excuse is. I'm like, this is my job. I don't care. 
I'm just going to do my thing. I'm not hurting anybody. Um, I don't do it for too long. But having a soft light source on your food where you're not in the way of the light is really key. And my number two tip, especially for phone users, um, whenever you take your phone out to take a photo, wipe the lens off on like a cotton shirt or if you wear glasses, even like an eyeglass cleaner. But I usually just do it on my shirt or my pants because there's oils that always get on the lens and it decreases the sharpness. It makes it a little fuzzy. Um, it, it Sometimes it blows out the light and it gives you a kind of muddy, murky looking photo. So just no matter what, wipe off your phone lens before you take a photo with it. What great tips. Because I know we want to always take a picture of our food and say, see, we're vegan, we're eating. But if it doesn't look good, it's not so great for the cause. Yeah, it's a hard sell. <laughs> so what, what do you do when you are faced with taking a picture of something that might just taste like heaven, but it's, I don't know, lentil soup or something that isn't exactly mm -hmm. photogenic? So this is where my uh, art school background comes into play because I dealt a lot with color theory. And so what I tell people is that usually if you have a warm, pretty one note looking dish, you can always add interest by adding like a relevant garnish. So say there's an herb inside and you want to add a garnish on top. If you don't have that, um, maybe a plate or a linen, like a napkin or a kitchen towel that has some color. So if, if we're talking about a lentil soup that's like orangish brown, maybe you want to add a kitchen towel that has a little green or blue in it to complement the warm tones and add a more dynamic setup to your photo so that we're not just looking at something super brown. I see. Oh, that's lovely. So, Jackie, everybody always wants to know what people who are out there in the culinary world eat. We have just one minute. What do you eat? I typically eat a smoothie and coffee in the morning, and then I really love vegan mac and cheese, like, a lot. Probably one of my most popular recipes is my buffalo chickpea mac and cheese from Vegan Bowl Attack, which has buffalo-roasted chickpeas with a little cashew ranch and a cashew-based cheese sauce with romaine and celery tossed in, and it is divine. It is so good. That sounds heavenly. I just noticed this morning on Facebook there's going to be a big vegan Macdown <laughs> here in the, the city in, in a week or two. Oh. And I think that, you know where it says interested? I think there are over 3,000 people interested to get into oh this restaurant God. that That's maybe so holds 100 people. But, yeah, we oh love our God. mac and cheese. It's kind of a vegan thing. Jackie Sobun, oh, my gosh, this woman is brilliant. She's gifted. You'll love her food, Vegan Bowl Attack, Vegan Yak Attack, On The Go, and the blog to end all blogs, Vegan Yak Attack. And we'll put all the information where you can find Jackie on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. It's easy. It's Vegan Yak Attack. See, she's talented and she's smart. She's got all of her assets lined up. Thank you so much, Jackie, for being part of the program today. And listeners, please stay with us on this World Radio Day. And we'll be back to welcome Robin Asbell right after this.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with sound healer Terry Wilder and Mystical Gong Meditations. Take some time right now and give yourself this minute of meditation. Breathe in and breathe out. Meditation, because some questions can't be answered by Google. Stop for a minute and give yourself this gift of mindfulness. Breathe in and breathe out. Slow down. Calm down. Don't worry. Don't hurry. Trust the process. To hear more healing gong meditations, visit terrywilder.com. Did you know February 17th is the beginning of Kindness Week? It's a time to perform acts of kindness for others. And during that week only, Unity Books is offering a special deal on its random acts of kindness journal titled, Write It on Your Heart. Buy one and get one free. This beautiful book suggests different ways you can perform acts of kindness, then has room to journal about your experience. Find it at unitybooks.org kindness. Now's the time to register for this year's Heart of Healing Retreat, hosted by the leaders of the Silent Unity Prayer Ministry. Imagine coming to the beautiful campus of Unity Village with its fountains and rose garden to rest and renew your spirit as you explore the spiritual principles of healing. You'll spend time in silence as well as celebration. The retreat is April 25th to 28th with an early bird discount before March 1st. Visit unity.org slash silentunityretreat. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. And welcome back from me, too. Um, we mentioned that the website for Main Street Vegan, MainStreetVegan.net, 
also has the show notes for this program so you can find out how to catch up with our guests on social media and otherwise. And also other little interesting notes like this wonderful music that you hear at the beginning and the end and a bit in the middle. That's from Rob Mills Vegan Girls, G-I-R-L-Z. And you can actually buy that for your very own self if you want. And we'll put the information on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. I also want to draw your attention to something so exciting that is happening. This is the culmination of three and a half years of labor, love, sweat, tears, and all those things. And that is Thomas Jackson's beautiful film that's being produced by Main Street Vegan Productions, and it is A Prayer for Compassion. This is to interest people who identify as religion, religious or spiritual uh, into looking into veganism. So um, do check out uh, aprayerforcompassion.com. That's the website for the film. There's also a page about the film at MainStreetVegan.net. And if you happen to be in the Dallas, Texas area, the very last pre-screening, the last test screening happening before the big to-do in New York City March 5th, the Dallas event is happening Friday, February 22nd, and that is at the Unity Church of Dallas. So you can just go to unitydallas.com uh, and find out what's going on there. And then if you are in the New York City area, March 5th, big gala, red carpet, amazing, fabulous. You've got to come to the premiere. I mean, if you're in Connecticut or Massachusetts or Pennsylvania, oh, come on. It's one Tuesday night. Come into New York City. Come to the premiere, www.aprayerforcompassion.com, and you just click on New York City premiere, and oh, golly, we will have the best time. And you know what? We're having a really good time right now as I introduce someone that I have spent some time with. She's a return guest to the program, and this woman knows comfort food. Robin Asbell is a Midwesterner, and she knows the kind of food that you want to eat when you come in and it's been a cold day. Or maybe it's not cold outside, but there's been a little bit of coldness in your life or your work or somebody wasn't really nice. You know, there's a certain kind of food you want to have for dinner after a day like that. And Robin Asbell is the chef, educator, and author who knows how to do comfort in whole plant foods. Her talent, making healthy food delicious. She's the author of 11 cookbooks, most recently plant-based meats, hearty, high-protein recipes for vegans, flexitarians, and curious carnivores. She's the author, oh my gosh, so many books. Another newer one is Vegan Meal Prep, a five-week plan with 125 ready-to-go recipes. Oh my gosh, this woman is prolific and delightful. Welcome, Robin Asbell. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I know you make really good food and you do really good recipes, but now you are going in where angels fear to tread. You're actually making meat. How do you do that and why do we want to do that? <laughs> well, you know, it is, you know, it, it, it just is such a giant growth industry. 
you know, the mock meat industry is growing leaps and bounds of, you know, that, that all these companies are getting into it with the, you know, the Beyond and the Impossible Burgers and all these things. And so we're seeing more of a trend, too, of artisanal handmade mock meats, as we used to call them. And so I live in Minneapolis, where we just happen to have the herbivorous butcher, which is one of the ones that gets a lot of attention. And so I was just thinking, you know, I'm one of these people who's been doing this for a long, long time. But I'm seeing that a lot of the, especially younger vegans, are very interested in these kind of mock meats. And I thought, let's get, I will expand my repertoire. So I spent a year working on really knocking out everything I could think of meat-wise, from, you know, chorizo and merguez sausage to bologna to turkey and beef. And so it's been a, it's been a fun adventure. So what do you say, Robin, when people say, what is it with you vegans? If you don't believe in eating meat, why do you want to eat food that looks and tastes like meat? Yeah, and that is, it's such an individual thing. But I think that what, why this has been such a big thing is that for, you know, for one thing, a lot of people who are new to it just want something familiar that they can slot into these meal plans that they've had all their lives, right? Is you know, they've always planned their meals around, I'm going to put this meat in a sandwich, I'm going to put this chicken on the plate. And so in that way, it's easier for them, you know, to plan their meals and move into eating a plant-based diet. And there's also, there's just something about, you know, when you eat this food, you feel really satisfied with this, you know, this sort of concentrated protein source. And some people, I think that's what's one of the things that people find so appealing about eating big chunks of meat, and so it can really give you the same physical feeling, I think, although I haven't eaten any in 40 years, but that's what I hear. And that is a really good point because so often people who try vegan and, and they leave will say, eh, I don't know, something was just missing. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's that kind of solidity. Yeah, there's something almost intoxicating. And, you know, we do use food a lot as almost a medical, you know, as a intoxicant or, you know, to treat our feelings. And so eating something that's really, you know, protein dense and calorie dense, although these are not as fatty, obviously, as meat. It's hard to even make them fatty because the seitan. But um, they, it, it does, it gives you this very sedating sort of calming feeling and i think people miss that about the you know the way that they used to eat meat so yeah and so i know there's a fascinating history i mean i i know i guess the the original faux meats were developed by buddhist monks 1500 years ago but tell us a little bit about the history of, of mock meats and mock, mm, mock meats that's hard to say in the u.s Right. Well, you know, it all started in, you know, China and Japan and Vietnam and other Asian countries because there were Buddhists there and they would make seitan, which was, you know, it goes back to the 6th century where they would just mix wheat flour and water and then rinse that dough and then what was left behind was gluten. And so then that, you know, became part of the American macrobiotic movement in the 1940s here in the United States. And so then John Harvey Kellogg got involved. So Kellogg, you know, he had his health spa thing in the 1800s. And then the Seventh-day Adventists, you know, you, every time you read a study about vegetarian health, it'll be the Seventh-day Adventists out in California. 
And so they started making mock meats and selling them. And then there, it sort of, you know, we went along with that for a while, and then it kind of started growing and growing with uh, different kinds of mock meats. And then recently, again, it seems like it's gotten kicked into overdrive, and I think it's because, again, we're just looking at the state of the earth and the planet and all the people we've got to feed, and it's just not sustainable. So, you know, big business has gotten involved with really trying to make it palatable. Mm-hmm. But if we're not going to do the big business kind, or if we're not going to do that all the time, along comes Robin Asbell and this wonderful new cookbook, Plant-Based Meats. How on earth would a regular person in a regular kitchen make mock meat? Oh, it's really, really quite simple. It's just a matter of, you know, there's different methods for doing it. You can do it in an instant pot. You can steam. You can do things that are steamed. You can do things that are crock-potted um, and, or baked or, you know, sautéed. So there's a lot of things in here from little chicken wings that are fun because you wrap it around a cocktail skewer or there's, you know, different uh, ways of shaping it, chicken breast, chicken for shredding. So... But it's really not that big of a deal, especially the seitan-based ones. You just buy the gluten flour and mix it up like you're making bread. And I often say this is kind of like making bread where, you know, it does take a little bit of time on the front end, but then you've got it to eat all week. And you said some are gluten-based. Are some not gluten-based for people who don't eat gluten? Yes. Yeah, there's, there are, uh, are several gluten-free options in there for sure in the book, you know, and jackfruit and tofu and different uh, different options as well because I really tried to investigate all the options. So, But I think people, again, the interest right now for a lot of people is in these, you know, there's pastrami and salami and it's a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of tacos. People really it's, it's, those are <laughs> those are fun and quick and easy. You know, meatloaf, everything. So, yeah, that is really interesting. And as you say, it's so critical. I was just reading something in the Huffington Post about we're having this incredible extinction of insects. I mean, mm-hmm. so many species of insect disappearing. And we don't think about that. But evidently, when the insects go, we all go. And I'm not just talking bees. I'm talking all of them. So we have this this real global crisis pending. And probably the most powerful thing we can do to stem this thing is to go vegan or as close to vegan as any individual is willing to go today and maybe a little bit closer tomorrow. So having these foods that are familiar and and that people like is going to be so, so important to our very survival. Absolutely. And that's the thing is, you know, some of the vegans that I know say I have no interest in meat, you know, and I say, fine, go on with your grains and beans. And actually, my vegan meal prep book that's, you know, coming out quick, very soon, that one's more grains and beans and, you know, based. But this is for the people who want something different, you know. Yeah. And like I say, anything that will help anyone eat less meat, even if it's once a week or twice a week or, you know, any amount, the, it's just I feel like I've done something to help some help the world, you know. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk a little bit uh, with you about grains, Robin, because I know you're a big fan of grains. You're culinary advisor for the Whole Grains Council. You're a member of the Grains for Health Initiative. But 
a lot of people, even beyond gluten, just a lot of people just don't feel that grains sit very well with them. What what do you say to those folks? Well, I guess, you know, you could probably try a different grain. And I know there's a, you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets tossed around, whether it's, you know, the paleos or the the gluten people. And, you know, of course, there are people who definitely grains don't agree with them. Gluten doesn't agree with them. Possibly some other element that's in the grain doesn't agree with them. But really, the vast majority of people are are perfectly well suited to, you know, eating whole grains and We've eaten them for centuries, and, you know, there's just been a lot of stories put out claiming that that's a bad thing. But I think most of most of us would do well to eat whole grains. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty recent because when you and I started out in this healthy world, I mean, brown rice and making your own bread, I mean, this was the crux of it. This was the center of health. And and I am grateful that now we do know, you know what, you need a little color. <laughs> you know, you yes, get some greens yes. in there and some other stuff. And and yet that um that kind of staple, you know, that staff of life thing is uh, I think there's still some truth there as well. And I know we all have to know ourselves and find our own way. But you are saying that this explosive growth that we're seeing in the sales of the faux meats in, in grocery stores, in restaurants, isn't really because of vegans. Who's buying them? Yes. Well, you know, when you look at it, the majority of it are omnivores. And so say when I, you know, when I talk to the, the artisan meat makers, they'll say, oh, yes, yeah, 75% of our customers are omnivores. You know, they're not vegans. I mean, their diehard customers are vegans for sure. But, um, you know, most of these people are coming in and trying it and liking it. And so it's really a matter of, like in my book, where I really worked at making this umami-rich and flavorful and and super tasty and look like meat to pull those people in so that they can find something to substitute. And... um, because they're the ones they're the ones that are the growth. So Exactly. I just heard from um my helper today. She's a student at Parsons and she was saying that there was no vegan option in the college cafeteria and now they have the impossible burger and people are raving about it. So I think, you know, when some of us as vegans, it's like, oh, you know, I mean, look, it tastes like meat. What <laughs> What's going on? It's like, it's not for us necessarily. You know, my husband, he's very vegan and he loves these burgers. Um, but it's really for those students at Parsons and, and, and the students and the, and the people in um, the offices and, and the companies where, where these foods are just becoming normal. They're another option, which is what we have been hoping for as uh, vegans and vegetarians all these years. So yeah, my goal back. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, when I first started writing about vegan, it was just I want this to be mainstream. I want this to be normal. I want people to go into a restaurant and see a plate of vegan food and just say that looks good and order it, and not have a label. And um, because I know I'm with you. My husband actually, if uh, if a burger, he won't eat those veggie burgers and things. They remind him too much of meat. You know, so that's really my thing with it. And and I'm not crazy about, you know, certain kinds of oils that are used in there. And I really I I try to be more of the whole foods plant based. And, you know, 
not everybody needs to do that. We all make our own decisions. We have our choices. We can eat whatever we like. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my 69th birthday <laughs> coming up next month. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to try to do the very best I can to stay here as long as I can and in the best possible health. And so when I read those labels and I see things on there that I'd rather not be ingesting, it's not too hard for me to pass them by because I've been doing this for a long time and I would just as soon, you know, have a bowl with a lot of vegetables Mm -hmm. and some beans in there. But I think if we're going to save this planet, it's going to take a lot of burgers and it's going to take a lot of these wonderful meats that you have in your fabulous new book. So tell us about a couple of your favorite recipes. What are the meats that you're most proud of coming up with? Yeah, I've been really enjoying. I just, the other day I went on television with some, well, you know, if I'm, if there's a basic beef seitan in there that you can use to make things like red curry and boeuf bourguignon, and I've been having really good luck with, I've been going on local television and getting the anchor people to taste it, and they're just blown away. You know, they've never had anything like that. And I made a uh, French pâté with pistachios and peppercorns that I wrap in puff pastry and decorate, and it looks just gorgeous. <laughs> And oh, things, that sounds heavenly. Probably and, not like something I would try to make, but I'd sure eat it. It's yeah, and it's just gorgeous, you know. And things like uh, salami, you know, where you make links that look really convincingly like sausage, and and um, you can and the hot dogs. Oh, my neighbors, you know, I have a vegan neighbor who tested a lot of these things, and she and her little girl just love the hot dogs. So it's just, it's really hard to pick. And the thing about making your own is you can, you know, you can cite, you can use the ingredients that you want too. Is You know, if you aren't liking some of the ingredients, you can pick a different fat, you know, and you can make sure what's in there because some of the processed things, you you know, it's sort of mysterious. Yeah. And you're kind of stuck with, well, that's how they wanted to make it. And mm-hmm. maybe I would really love it with one ingredient different so, yeah, it's great to take control in your own kitchen. So how much time do you spend as a professional chef and recipe creator? How many hours a day are you in your kitchen? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, because I'm doing this for a living, you know, it's, uh, some days I'm writing, some days I'm testing. Sometimes I'll test for, you know, several hours. Uh, some days I don't test at all. It sort of depends what kind of work I have coming in. But when I'm working on a book, it's pretty much every spare hour that I'm not, you know, work doing some other work. So it's pretty intense. So tell us how to just be more comfortable in our kitchens. Tell us how to cook in a way that we don't walk out at the end of it all, look back in the kitchen and say, oh, my goodness, it looks like a hurricane passed through. <laughs> Well, you have to set yourself up to succeed. You know, that's one of the things I talk about in the uh, vegan meal prep book is, you know, get your, you know, put your cutting board and and your knives and, you know, get set up so that you've got a good space to work in. And, of course, you know, as you go, I mean, chefs all clean as we go. You know, we make sure and, you know, wash, rinse, put it in the dishwasher, whatever you're going to do so that because, yeah, piling up stuff is is just the worst. And, um that's really, you know, kind of key. Just keep going until it's, and don't walk away when it's a mess because then you'll come back and think, this was just too hard. 
Yeah, I'm going to go buy one of those burgers in the boxes. Nothing wrong with the burgers in the boxes, but you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if you want to be more of a DIY, you just get this wonderful feeling from that. So Robin, I know that you believe that each and every one of us has what, what you call a role to play in the revolution. And we're not talking about, you know, overthrowing anything. We're just talking about changing the world to be kind and sane and sustained. So uh, what's your role in all this? Yeah, my role is making recipes that allow people to eat delicious, healthy food. So, and I, you know, I write about it, I talk about it, but I consider that to be, that's my role to play is I can make a good recipe I can help people learn how to do this in a way that is pleasurable. You know, and this is love month, and I honestly believe the most loving thing you can do for the people that you care about is make them delicious food that is good for them. And that's how I'm trying to keep my husband healthy and, you know, make him last. <laughs> and that's so that's so the way to do it, you know. So, yeah, that's my job. Oh, I love that. Well, your your books are amazing. 11 cookbooks. Her blog, Robin Asbell, A-S-B-E-L-L dot com slash Robin Writes. And we will put all of that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Now, you mentioned, Robin, that you live in Minneapolis. Beautiful city. Oh, my gosh. Lovely. Jewel of the North. Tell us a little bit about the vegan scene in Minneapolis. What's going on up there? Well, I don't know if you saw Veg News actually said we were, I think, number one vegan city on the move this year. Wow. Title like that. And, you know, we went for years with no vegan restaurants and no, not even a vegetarian restaurant. And so in the last few years, there's been an explosive growth, I guess you would say, where it's just one after another. And our Veg Fest went from this little thing that was in the you know, the student union to, I think, gosh, last year, I know it was over 10,000 people came. It was more than that. And so we have seen so much movement. And so we now have all these great vegan restaurants, bakeries. It's just so fun and uh, community growing around that. And it's just fantastic that uh, it's because for a while I just was sort of embarrassed to live in a city where I'd go, you know, I'd come and see you guys in New York and there were so many options and I'd come back here and it was, you know, you're kind of fighting your way through menus at, you know, like asking at the Asian restaurant if there's fish sauce in it and all that. And I mean, I love eating at mainstream restaurants and trying the food, but you do have to be more careful. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of whole food plant-based people who are saying that it's easier for them to eat at regular restaurants that serve meat because they know they can get a baked potato, a salad, and some steamed broccoli, where at so many of the vegan restaurants, the food is is really fancy and it's got a lot of sauce and things (laughs) like that. So I think it's a challenge to anyone opening a vegan restaurant. I mean, obviously, we want to appeal to the non-vegan, and we want the food to just be so intoxicating that they come back and that they want to eat vegan other places and on their own. And then to also appeal to some of us who've kind of, you know, we've, we've sown our wild oats, so to speak, uh, with some of these various flavors and textures, and we want to eat a little more simply 
So there are a lot of people to please now that we are becoming a, well, as you say, Minneapolis is a vegan city on the go. We are a movement on the go. It's true, and I really think more and more people, it's just getting less and less weird for people. And, you know, people will tell me, because, you know, we've got restaurants here, and some of them, they're kind of catering to the whole French fries and, you know, fried chicken kind of appeal, and then others that are more kind of grain bowls and, and you know, hippie-ish style vegan, and then, you know, the ones that are trying to be more gourmet. So it's just really very... It's we're getting some diversity in all those offerings, and I I, oh. I think it's really very fun. It is very fun, and you have been adding to the fun and the deliciousness for so so many years. Robin Asbell, her classic is Big Vegan, and then also Sweet and Easy Vegan. Those are both excellent, and you just keep coming with all all of this brilliant and all of this good taste. Thank you so much, Robin Asbell. Thanks to Jackie Soban, both of our wonderful guests. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for hosting this program here on World Radio Day. And every Wednesday, uh, it means the world. Do take a look at aprayerforcompassion.com. See us in New York City. See us in Dallas. See us somewhere, uh, maybe in your part of the world. Maybe you'll want to host a screening and get some of those religious and spiritual people that you know interested in getting animals off the plate. That would be a really nice world to look forward to, wouldn't it? God bless you, and eat all those yummy veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.